Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all of you. And uh, I think I'm going to just dive right into that before we go into that. I just, I want to say thank you to all the women in, in my life. And this is a day to really be, to thank God for that. Um, I know that this is a mixed day for, for many. And, and once, sometimes it's like, yay, thank you for God that I have had a wonderful mother or, or have a wonderful mother. And sometimes it's, I miss my mom. And so it becomes a grieving day, or maybe the mother you, have, you currently have isn't very motherly for you. Um, but it's a day you can say thank you for other women in your life that have played a better role for that. Sometimes this is a day where you, for women, grieve because they don't have their children. And so they get sad. This is a sad day for that, too. Either they've, they've passed or they don't have them. Or, and so it's a mixed day. But either way, it's a day to say thank you to God for all the blessings that, uh, that God's given us through wim- the women in our lives. The women who, who blessed us so greatly in, in so many different ways. And so happy Mother's Day. I'm glad you're here. There's some, some wonderful things that Jesse's set up for us out, out in the, uh, underneath the welcome sign. And so I'm glad you're here. And uh, with that said, tell me something about your week. If you could describe your week in one word, what would it be? Last week or next week? This week. This last week. This week. Okay. Future. You're taking notes from him. Okay. The last seven days, how, describe your, your week in a, in, a, in a word or two. Very warm. That's two words. Oh, he said a word or two? Oh, come on. Yeah. Warmer. Yeah. Warmer? Oh, look at you. I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Now, can you beat that? How was your week? Hot. <laughs> okay, I guess I, that's what I got. Let's just make that as awkward as possible. That make that as awkward as possible. Hey, yeah. Jesse, do you have some announcements for us? Fantastic. Come on up. All right. Roll. <laughs> la 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 la. All right. Okay. So hey, we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be continuing our service series in Ephesians chapter two, and um, <clears throat> today's a, is a sermon of hope. It's um, it's a sermon that's continuing to to look at at societal sin and what God's solution is. Um, and there's hope because it's because the solution is beyond us, but God has provided one. And so let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for our, uh, our hope in you. Thank you. Let me, you know, first, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, our, for again, for the, for women and, and, and the, the blessings they are, the way they see the world differently, how they, how they come and they care for us and their wisdom and the way they help us. You are so wise in how you've designed things. Bless them, give them joy, give them peace. Help them to see uh, the, the dignity that you've given them, the significance of them, uh, just by being them, how beautiful they all are. Thank you for them. And Jesus, as we come 
into this service, we ask, Jesus, that you would help us to set aside all the, the, the things that are going on in this day, to bring, not set aside, bring all of the stuff that's on our minds this morning, particularly those who are grieving, who, um, who this is a day of pain, and sit at your feet. Sit at your feet, Jesus. Father, thank you for your nurturing love, the kind of love that we see modeled in our, in, in our mothers and mother figures, that, that feeling of being safe on a lap with arms wrapped around us, the grace that says, I know you're trying and you're going to make mistakes, but you're still safe and I still love you. And you're still mine. As we sing this morning, Lord, as we consider who your nature as a loving father, that uh, that warmth would, would permeate this congregation, the people who are online, the people who are in this space, that they can find that, that safe space, that loving space, um, and make that contagious to the world, that they would feel loved and they would recognize your grace in spite of everything that around us that seems to tell us otherwise, Father. Thank you. Amen. Father, we don't praise you enough. Even if we praised you without ceasing it, it wouldn't be enough there's no way to measure <laughs> just the, the volume of grace and blessings you pour upon us that doesn't mean we should give up though so father help us help us to see you in in all the things around us in love safety which is just a big word for me this morning, Lord. Lord, I, I want us to feel safe to hear you, to feel confident enough to be quiet, to not fill the space with our own words, but to, to just sit in stillness and allow you to speak to us and lead us. Help us with that courage, Father. Father, thank you for giving us your word that it is a true and trustworthy account of what you've told us. Help us to hear it. Spirit, thank you that you not only wrote it, but your presence. Help us to, to understand it and how it applies and open our eyes to see. Use my words to, to, to accomplish your purposes this morning. Thank you for the people who are here who will hear this, that you've brought them. This is your time, Jesus. We pray this into your name, amen. <clears throat> Have a seat. God's solution for society's sin. <clears throat> 
So as we've been walking through a second, uh, second chapter of, of Ephesians, as, as, as I've been saying multiple times, the, the, the first couple of verses, first, first 10, it is so clear he's talking about personal salvation. How are we saved? And it's that beautiful verse in 8 that, you know, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. I mean, and we, some of us have heard that for many, 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 many years, and it's so clear that this communicates how we as individual people get saved. It's a beautiful thing. And that's right. It's verses 1 through 10 is about individual and how, how they are acting and how God has rescued them. He, he, he's, he's, he's brought them with, him, with Jesus. He's resurrected them. And, and they're in that beautiful moment of, of saying that God did this for you. But sometimes we don't recognize it. Starting in verse 11, he now takes these same concepts and he, and he, and he does the other side of the coin. And he talks about how God is, is doing the same thing, but it, how does God deal with sin on a societal level, on a civilization level, on a global sense, between people groups, between different races, different tribes of people. How does he save Democrats as well as Republicans? It's the same thing. This is the question. And the answer is going to be the same. Now, last week, I said one of the first things you need to do is we need to remember God's divine perspective on all of this. We, and, and, I, and I said that, that among them is, is we need to remember that every human being is guilty. We're all guilty. We're just as guilty as everybody else, both the oppressors and the oppressed, both those who are of, of, of different colors, people who have different religious perspectives. It doesn't matter. We're all, we're all guilty, which calls for a sense of humility that, that on one hand, we can look at, a, at, at, at on a, a, a street-level version of humanity. And of course, people are different heights of, of, of righteousness, lots of different versions. I mean, even if you just looked around this room, you can see so many different heights. But if you were to take an aerial view and look straight down, well, then the, those heights kind of flatten. And that's what I'm saying. Yes, from a human perspective, and God can see the human perspective, certain people are better than other people in terms of righteousness. There are better people who are more good than other people. Yeah, but from a divine perspective of perfection, no, okay, we're all just guilty. And that, that, that affects how we see things. That those of us who, who, who are being charged with things like doing inju- acting unjustly, uh, that calls for a humility of saying, well, yeah, I'm sure there are some ways I have that maybe I need, I need to hear that. But on the other hand, it's for those who are saying, no, you, you guys over there, you've been acting unjustly to, to realize that there's three fingers pointed back at you, that there's things you've done that's not right as well. It shuts up all humanity to say, okay, no, we're all guilty. And if we're all guilty, we, 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 we need help. We're all made in the image of God, but we've all fallen. And the second piece here is, is point that, is, that we talked about is, and this is, just, this, is, this is so fundamental to Scripture, all of this is, is that humanity cannot fix itself. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. That's what's going on in the garden. That's what's going on through all of Scripture. That's, that's one of the basic points of the whole story of Israel, is that God gives the law, and they just can't 
do it. Humanity can't fix itself just as you can't fix yourself on an individual level. You can't fix, society can't fix itself on a, on a global sense. God has to, fix, has to rescue us. How much, I mean, is that not what by, saved by grace means? And that there's hope and only through God, through one person, Jesus. Not that you don't try and be good people. Not that you, of course you should try and act justly and kindly and love people and be kind. Of course, yes, but where's your hope? Where's your hope? Ultimately. And a lot of Christians put way too much hope in politics to save the day rather than in God. And you have to ask yourself your question, are you doing that? Now today... We're going to ask. We're going to start looking at. So, how does what is the how does how is Jesus the one person? How does he bring hope? What is how does he solve this sin issue, society's issues? We're going to begin to look at that. Now, I'm just going to go th- read through this, um, starting in verse 14. We're just going to read through it, and and one of the things you're going to see, and I'll, and I'll have a summary of it at the end, is what, what you're going to see is 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 the the cross the, the blood of Jesus his his death what he what that's accomplished is two things one it's it's removed the hostility and it's created one person and he's going to say this twice okay one person removing hostility or creating peace and does it through the cross through, right so let's just read through it for he that is Jesus himself is our peace who has made both of us, Jew, Gentile, which means all human being, one. And he has, so this is the second thing, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He's removing hostility. And he did this by abolishing the law expressed in commandments and ordinances. We're going to come back. How does that do that? That, in order, the purpose statement of, abol- of abolishing the law, that he might, and this is where he's starting to say it a second time, that he might create in himself one new man, thus making peace, reconciling us both to God. If there's peace, there's reconciliation, there's no hostility. And he does this in one body through the cross, thereby res- re- killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far, that is the Gentile world, every human being other than Jews, and to us who are near, that is the Jews. Why? Here's a summary statement for this section. For through him we both have access in one spirit to one father, one person, one community, access to the Father means that there's no hostility, no hostility between human beings, no hostility with God. And one of the, so here's the outline. Here's just kind of the basic ideas here in these, three, these, these couple of verses, is that he's creating a one people, he's removing hostility, he's creating peace, he's creating, he's creating a removal of, of, of hostility, and this hostility is both 
on a human level, but also on a vertical level between God and people. And you can never really break those two apart. Because if you're right with God, then you have to be right with people. If you're not right with people, you can't be right with God. They all, they all wrap in together. If you're, if, if you, if, as, as John will put it, you can't say you love God and hate your neighbor. Okay, It goes together. But if you love your neighbor, then you love God. It goes together because we are made in the image of God. How you treat people is how you treat God. So hostility this way, how we treat each other, as well as the fact that we have a problem with God. He's removing both of these, and he does this um, by, by abolishing the cross, by, excuse me, by abolishing the law through the death of the cross, and in all of that, there's the one people thing. Next, the one people thing, we're going to talk about that next week. This week, the main thing I want to I answer is a couple of questions. One is how does the cross abolish the law? What does that phrase mean, abolishing the law? People get stuck up on that. How does the cross abolish the law, and how does that create peace? How does, put it another way, how does the cross abolish the law, and how does abolishing the law create peace? Now, here's, now here's the problem and that, that we're going to have to deal with in, in this, is this text actually doesn't exactly answer that question. He just simply states it. But he does state it in a few other places, particularly in Romans and in Galatians, and we're going to walk through that. But let me start by just telling you a couple of things that are not said in this text that will help you understand why the law, abolishing the law creates peace and how the cross abolishes it, removes it, nullifies it, doesn't make it applicable to us. And one of the things, some of these things are going to be super obvious but, but you need to understand this to kind of get where Paul is going. The first one here, I'm just going to state them, and then we're going to look at, this, at, the, at the scriptures to back it up. The first one is that the law only applies to those who are under it. For example, I assume no one's a Canadian here, right? Do any of the laws of Canada apply to you? No, right? Because you're not a Canadian, it only applies to people who are under it. The laws of Australia, they can do whatever they want. It doesn't make any difference to me because I'm not, a, I'm not an Australian. The law only applies to people to whom are under those laws. Obvious, right? But that matters. So just think about that. The law applies to those who are under it. And then the second one that's kind of like that, and then death releases you from the law. Right? It's the whole thing you, when, you, when you do your marriage, until death do us part. Once your spouse dies, the law that bound you two together is done. If you die, you can't jaywalk. Right? I mean, again, this is so obvious, but you need to understand this because it applies to what's going on here. The law only applies to those who are under it, and if you're dead, the law doesn't have anything to say to you. In fact, constitutionally, you have no rights when you're dead. They can invade your privacy. Why? You're dead. The law only applies to you while you're alive. But if you've died, that's not those, those aren't your laws. Okay? Got these two? Really obvious. 
but they matter. You'll see how it matters in a moment. Here, there's two more pieces here. Here's where, where Paul is going to start applying these. In Jesus, we have died to the law. Now, this is what's being talked about when we do things like baptism. He's going to talk a lot about this in Romans 6, but it's this whole idea that when you, and it's, it's, it's all throughout the Scripture. We even sang it right before here, that, that little phrase, my life is hid in him. It's this idea that, that throughout the New Testament about being in Christ or um, in him or united to him, these kinds of phrases, it's the idea that when you have put your faith in Jesus, that you two have somehow become united. It's kind of what we're getting at when we, when, when Paul, excuse me, when in, in Genesis 2, it talks about how when a man marries a woman, um, that the two become one flesh. There's a union of the two. Now, Paul is even back going to pull this back up in chapter 5 of Ephesians, but it's this idea when they come together that somehow the two lives become deeply intertwined. And under normal circumstances, with two people married, if one of them was rich and one of them has lots of debt, they both get both, right? They go together. They get all the benefits of both. Both get both ben- all the benefits and both get all the negatives. That's generally how it works. Both get both. There's a union. And so what Paul is going to be saying here, and I'm going to show you the scriptures in a second again on all this, is that what's happened when we put our faith in Jesus, when Jesus was dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, so were we. Now, how that works, I don't know. They don't explain it, but that's the idea. So that when Jesus is dying on the cross, paying for sin... Because we are, un- we are in Jesus, we are union, we're connected with Jesus, that death applies to us. So Je- in Jesus, we have died, and so because if we've died, then death releases us from the law, you see. And if the law doesn't apply to us, if we're dead, then the law doesn't apply to us because the law only applies to those who it applies. This is Paul's logic. Finally, the last piece right here. That, I just, that we're going to talk about and then I'm going to walk through the scriptures is that Jesus fulfills the law. He fulfills it and he's going to fulfill it in two different ways. He's going to fulfill it in terms of there's a penalty for when you break the law. You, you, you see speed, you get a ticket, you have to pay a fine, right? If there's a penalty for breaking the law. Um, but there's also the sense of fulfilling the law in the sense of doing everything it asks. Doing, fill, fulfilling it in the sense of being living perfectly, so there's the paying the penalty for breaking the law, but there's also the other side of it, which is doing it perfectly, and Jesus does both. All right, those are the four pieces that Paul does not talk about here in Ephesians, but I want to bring those forward, and then we're going to, I'll show you how they all fit to this together and how it answers the two questions. How does Jesus' death on the cross abolish the law, and how does that create peace? Let's walk through some of, the, some of the scriptures. Romans 7. Again, this is super obvious, but Paul needs to say it because we need to think like he does. First of all, he says, do you not know that the law is binding only on a person only as long as he lives? Well, yeah. 
And then he gives an illustration. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he, the husband, lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Obvious. But now he applies it a couple of verses later. Likewise, my brothers, you have died to the law through the body of Christ. Because Jesus died, and because you're united with Jesus, which he talks about in the cha- chapter before this, you have died too to the law. Because the law only applies to those who are alive, and it only applies to those who are under it. So that you may belong to another. To who? To him who has been raised from the dead. That is Jesus, obviously. In order that you might bear fruit to God. Now that's the context of what he's talking about here. Now he says the same thing in Galatians. He says it fewer words, but it's the same concept. But now we are released from the law. This is what Paul is getting at in in Ephesians 2, this idea of being released. Not that the law doesn't directly apply to us. Why? Because we have died to to what is held as captive. That is the law. So that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way by the written code, those ordinances and those regulations and stuff. Why? And then it continues, why? For through the law I died to the law that I might live to God. And then it continues with this beautiful phrase that some of us have memorized. Why? Because I have been crucified, that is, I have died with Christ. And I'm not, I don't live anymore. But Christ who lives in me, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I live now in the, in the flesh, but physically, I live by faith. So I've just said it like three times the same thing. The idea is, is that the law only applies to those who are under it. Two, but death releases us from it, and since we have died with Jesus, that's the testimony, we're released from it. The law doesn't directly apply to us anymore. Now, don't get, don't get all hung up. Just Brian saying the Ten Commandments don't have anything to do with us. Well, yes and no. Because we have the same God in the Old and the New Testament, the same God who wrote the, new, the, the, the Ten Commandments. He's the same God that we're living with now. The principles of the, of, of, of the Ten Commandments still apply to us because what he thinks is right then is still what's right now. Just like you can have the same, many of the same laws in Canada as you do in, in, in America. Okay? The, the laws of Canada don't apply to us, but it, if they're the same law, well, they do apply to us then, if that kind of makes sense. So God still cares what's right, and then and the, and the Ten Commandments will tell us things that are right, and we need to listen to that, but those Ten Commandments are not directly written to you. You are released from the law. Why? Because we have died to the law. And Jesus has fulfilled that law. That's why it doesn't apply to you. And Jesus fulfilled it now in two ways. Now, I talked about this in a moment ago, but we're going to now look at the scriptures that says it, right? He fulfills it in two basic ways. He fulfills it by the fact that, as I started this whole sermon, have we all sinned? Yes. And there's a penalty for that sin. The law says that the soul who sins must die. Jesus paid for your sin because you've been crucified with him. You have 
for you who are in Christ, see there's that language again about being union with Christ, connected with Christ, who, uh, Jesus, who has become the wisdom, so this is the smart way of doing things. Why? He is also our righteousness. That means we are right. We've fulfilled the law. He's our sanctification, means that one day we're going to live actually exactly how the law says we should live, but also our redemption, that is, our forgiveness We've been bought out of the penalty. We've paid the, we've paid the penalty for sin. Or as he says in Corinthians, God made the one who, knew no, who did not know sin, Jesus, he has all the credit of perfect righteousness, to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we would become the righteousness of God. We get both. In Jesus we get both. He had no sin, and he paid for sin. This is what Jesus has done. This, he fulfills the law in those two ways. And so the law is fully, fully, completely fulfilled in Jesus for you. In him, we have forgiveness, and we are righteous, both of which we did not earn, we did not do anything to get it other than put our faith in Jesus. Because on the cross, he paid for your sin and, on the, and, and, and his perfect life, which is why he was raised from the dead because death has no hold on him. He doesn't deserve to be there. He gets raised from the dead. And because he was raised from the dead, we get declared righteous too because we're one. That's a whole lot of deep theology. I, I get that. But what this ends up meaning is that whole system, that entire system of how you get right with God, of do's and don'ts and right and regulations and all of this, no longer is in effect for anyone who is in Jesus. Because Jesus has done it all. And you've died, so that law doesn't have anything to do with you. He's creating an entire new way of being okay with your creator. And it has nothing to do with your actions. It has everything to do with Jesus' actions. Guys, all I've really said up to this point is what I've said in, gen, in chapter 2, 1 through 10. But the issue is, is how, so, so how does this abolish the law? Because th we've died to it and the law doesn't apply to you anymore. Instead, how, but how, here's the question in this case, how does this create peace between people and God? Well, God has no reason to be angry with you. Because everything he would be angry at you for, Jesus, he just looks at Jesus and says, oh yeah, I've already meted out the punishment for that. And not only that, why would I be angry with you, child? I look at Jesus and I see that you have his perfect obedience. You have both of this. Why would I not be delighted, you, my child? And all of this has nothing to do with practicing the law, the do's and don'ts of Scripture. It has to do with by faith in Jesus. It's a new way of accessing God, of having a relationship with God. It creates peace. It creates peace between us and God, so there's no hostility. It creates peace between human beings, because here's the thing. How much of us are angry at other people for the sin they've done? Often. Boy, how much of that's what's going on in our society? 
and to a certain extent, they have, they have, they have, it's reasonable. People have been mistreated a lot. But we all have. But those who are in Jesus, the vengeance, the anger, the hostility for that wrong has been paid by Jesus. So why are you still angry at them if, they've, if that sin has already been punished? Already for those who are in Jesus. See, there's the peace. What's God's solution to sin, guys? Not just individually, but co- collectively. It's Jesus. Apply everything you know about salvation by grace alone on a corporate level, on a racial level. That's what he's saying. That as he summarizes here at the end, through him, all races, all different tribes of cultures of people, all the different factions of humanity out there, all of them have access to God, the Father, in the exact same way. There's no privilege with this. No one's better than another. Everybody has the exact same access. Talk about equality. There's equality. And the injustice that we all see All of that has been paid for for those who are in Jesus. And as we're going to talk about next week, and ultimately, he will create in in him a community of people who act exactly like Jesus. Perfectly loving and kind and righteous to each other. He doesn't eliminate differences. He just makes those differences color, spice, makes it enjoyable, but doesn't cause tension. That's the hope. There's only hope for peace, for justice, for reconciliation, ultimately on a global scale in Jesus because we can't save ourselves. But he has provided a way for that. See, this, this is what you've got to hear, guys. It doesn't mean you don't act justly. You need to act like Jesus and be just people. You need to be kind people. You need to do what you can. Sure. Don't put your hope in it. Not on, not on a grand scale. Don't trust in any of that stuff. Don't trust in who's going to be the next president or this law getting passed or that, that, that activism. It doesn't mean don't try those things, but understand that Jesus is the solution for humanity's corporate problem, not just your individual sin. And in him there's peace because he is the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. 
Oh, Father, I pray that, that I've communicated accurately and in a way that honors you and is true. I pray that I've equally offended all sides with a perspective from you. That we've all been pricked in some way, Jesus, on how that we've looked to our own selves. No, that we've that we've excluded you, Jesus, excluded you, God, from the solution to the injustices and the things that cause frustrations and anger and, and problems in our relationships, um, either on, on just on a family level, on a, on a job level, on a state or corporate or world level, that we get frustrated and angry at that, but we've left you out of there, God, that you ultimately will get to bring this ship home. May we be peacemakers, Jesus. May we be hope bringers. May we be people, Jesus, that act righteously and justly and love mercy. Just like you. In your name we pray. Amen. Once again, we find ourselves at the table. Once again. Because this is what we got to keep remembering, my dear people. We got to keep remembering Jesus is the solution to our sin. We got to keep remembering that. Paul was in Corinthians for a year and a half and he never stopped talking about this. It's all here. We don't get past the gospel, we don't get past that. Keep it front and center every day in all of your thoughts and all your communications, all the implications of it. That in Jesus, all of the sin was laid on, G on him. And if you're in Jesus, that sin is paid for. Of course, the uh, implications, if it's not, if you're not in Jesus, then it's not. God will give people that option. You can pay for your sin, yourself, or Jesus can pay for it for you. Pick. That's okay if you want to go that route. I pray you don't. pray you don't. Because the Lord loves you and wants you to be near Him. To give you peace and hope. Well, for an eternity, but for today. So you don't get angry. You don't get frustrated. Knowing that God's taking care of it. You can relax. You can rest in the grace of God. As we remember what Jesus has done. And on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. He broke it. He gave thanks. And he says, this is my body given for you.
He was crushed for our transgressions. He was bruised for those sins. For we all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us. Those who say, my sin's here. My sin's on the cross. In the same way, after supper, he he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new agreement. Unlike the old one, that says you, you, can be, you can try to be right with God just by living a good life. Good luck. It's not going to happen. The new agreement says that in Jesus, there's forgiveness. In Jesus, there's access to the Father. In one person, in Him. It's the poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Come to the table. Do it as saying today, I want you, Jesus. I'm trusting you for my sins. I'm trusting you that you're going to fix the sin of the world. I'm going to trust you because we are saved by grace, and this is not from yourself. The Lord will get all the glory for fixing sin in the world, for your sin and the sin of all people, either through judgment through the cross. Come to the table. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we once again say today, God, I want you. I need you. I recognize that I am a sinner too. Humble us, Jesus, to when people point out our failures, our faults, our mistakes, our sin. Help us with in those moments to have the faith that to remember that you are our defender, that you are our righteousness. That when people point that stuff out, to hear the gentle word of, you're just reminding us of our need for you, Savior. And then Jesus, help us to trust it. Lord, we, we, we know we're a sinner Help us, Jesus, to trust you. We say this morning again, I trust you for, your, for the forgiveness and for hope. And as these dear people come forward or are listening online, may they today choose you, Jesus. Once again, in your name, amen. Come, come, come and embrace the peace of Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for for meeting us here. Lord, help us to to be a church like this song where people can come and lay down their their uh, their masks where it's a safe place to be broken and to be uh, to expose their sin and their faults and their messiness and and know that they're loved and that this is a place of peace.
knowing that you are our righteousness. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. My sin of, of, of so many different things. Thank you that you meet me. And that you've been so patient for so many years. Relentlessly pursuing, even though we're broken, even though I'm broken. And I keep going back to the same ones. You are so good. The body and blood of Christ given for you. Finally, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would, you would be the lifter of our heads, that you would help us to lift up our eyes, lift up our ears, and to see you standing in heaven with your arms open wide, cheering us. Help us to hear the voices of heaven praising you, seeing our, our, the children that, that we long to see again there, seeing our mothers that we long to see there again knowing that, that the joy and the peace that awaits. Thank you for that, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. May God bless you today. May God bless you today with hope and with peace. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming. Happy Mother's